Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Legacy Women's Podcast. And today, the women we are talking to will seek to encourage moms of children ages zero to five. And if you've ever been to our church on a Sunday morning, you will likely realize that this is a fairly large demographic. So, I asked several dozen women in this season for questions and got some great ones. So thanks to everyone who sent them in, and we are going to try to get to all of those. Um, The ladies who are going to be sharing today are wise and godly women that I respect. They are Sherry Kittrell, Liz Hill, and Elizabeth Pluniak. And I'm excited to hear from you guys because you've all been an example of encouragement to me um, in many ways, but particularly your love for the Lord and your love for your children. And so... I'm excited that other women will get to benefit from your wisdom and example the way I have. Um, So can each of you introduce yourselves? Liz, will you start? Um, I am Liz Hill, and um, I've been married 27 years, and we have nine kids, and I am from Nashville, Tennessee. All right. My name's Elizabeth Pluniak, and I have been married for 16 years. We have five kids. Um, our oldest is 14, youngest is 7, and I grew up right here in Knoxville. All right, Sherry? I've been married for th- 37 years. My name is Sherry Kittrell, sorry about that. Um, and I have four kids at, ranging from ages 30, 22 to 32. Uh, I've been a homemaker, and now I'm a mom-mom to six grandchildren raising Eight, ranging in age from one to nine. So you're like doing this all over again, sort of, but probably in a more fun way. <laughs> um, Liz, can you share your testimony with us? Sure. Um, I was in college when I heard and believed that Jesus paid for my sins. My youth was characterized by selfish pursuits and a teenage rebellion against God, and particularly my Christian parents. I did not get along with them or even really like them. They were the problem, not me. I went to a Christian school and was surrounded by affluence and care and still was indifferent to the truth of God's love. I was content to go along in this way for many years. There were tugs on my heart in moments of worship at church and in conversations with true believers But the carefree pursuit of pleasure and occasional church attendance did enough to silence the call of God to true repentance and faith. It was only after this pursuit of worldliness began to show its ugly side in me that I began to take notice and question who I was and what my beliefs were. The hidden sins of cheating, theft, and immorality began to be more than I could ignore. I felt unable to change the direction I was headed, but also unable to see myself maintaining this hypocrisy. It was at this time my parents insisted we all attend Bill Gothard's seminar, Basic Life Principles. I went there and in a big auditorium with slides and graphs and scriptures, I got the message. Jesus paid for my sins, all of them. I remember believing it, receiving this gift, and beginning my Christian journey. Well, great. Thanks for sharing that. Well, let's just dive straight into the questions. So um, the first one is just reflect on this season of being a mom of really young kids um, and, and give us thoughts that you have just thinking back on that time, particularly how God was at work in you in this season. Uh, Sherry, can you go first? Sure. Um, Well, it was a wonderful season in many, many ways. Such sweetness, so many delights, funny stories, such funny things that they said and did. Always being together, laughing together, crying together. And this season was a wonderfully rich time of learning as a mom. Learning to trust God, learning to work when I didn't feel like it, and learning to keep going despite of sleeplessness and tiredness. What about you, Liz? Or Elizabeth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have two Elizabeths. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to call Elizabeth Pluniak Elizabeth and Liz Hill Liz for clarification. So Elizabeth. Well, I don't feel like I'm terribly far out of this season with my youngest daughter being seven. Um, 
but we are in a new season and man, the Lord has been faithful. It's just amazing to be able to look back already and reflect on his grace. Um, finding out 15 years ago, I was pregnant for the first time and that just being immediate uphill learning curve, uh, just learning and learning and just about this new exciting career. And I would say just the Lord working in my heart, servanthood and learning how to be a servant and that um, bringing out selfishness in my own heart and a craving for man's approval. Um, when I was called to serve uh, behind the scenes where only God could see and just learning to fear him and walk upright in my own home where nobody else would applaud me and learning how to take just the pleasure of God in those works. And um, I would say like the good works that were very particular to that season were learning to be a wise caregiver of my children's physical needs, um, just their health, their nutrition, caring for them in sicknesses and injuries. And secondly, um, learning to train and discipline my children. So that was just a huge learning experience for me, growing and walking that out faithfully. And um, so I'm grateful. And um, really the three biggest helps to me were my church, just Sunday morning preaching, really, because that fueled my devotional life. My husband, um, just learning how to get his leadership in our home, and older and wiser women in the church. Um, those things, I feel like, have been huge gifts to that season of my life. And without those, I don't think I'd be as encouraged <laughs> as I am today. Because now I find myself in a very like tendable garden. You know, I, I have clarity of what's going on with each child, and we can see where we want to serve them and help them. Um, but those helps help me to get to this spot, and I'm so grateful to God for a church family. The next two questions are about um, common motherhood temptations. Um, so Sherry, um, one lady wrote, how should I respond to mom guilt? I find that it usually takes two forms for me. Sometimes it's the feeling that I'm just too sinful and weak to be a good mom, and sometimes I compare myself to others and feel inadequate or that I'm not doing enough. Um, well, I can relate to that. I think there were days when I would have, that when I was thinking about what I did, that I, w I would be discouraged. And um, moms need grace, so um, we need grace to admit that we are weak and grace to not settle into these weaknesses. We need grace that frees and forgives, and we need grace that gives power to grow. And so, in the midst of that, I think we just always have to remind ourselves of the gospel. And um, I was always comfortable with the fact that I really did have limitations. And I was able to just say, okay, this is it. This is mom. She's a sinner. And um, there were times that, I that there was genuinely guilty for genuine sin of anger and impatience and unkindness. Um, and at that point, I, there, I'm able to just repent ask for forgiveness, go to the Lord, and receive His grace and strength and power. But then there's also times where you just have a feeling of guilt that might not really be just a, a where I've um, sinned, but it could be just I'm a vague sense of guilt where I just think, oh, I'm not doing what somebody else might be doing. So I think in that sense, it's not necessarily um, guilt. It's just a feeling of discouragement, and moms are... Um, moms can be vulnerable to that as well. And so when you talk about uh, comparison too, I think um, we have to recognize that because we do have limitations, we have to just look, live before an audience of one and not live before our friends or uh, those that we um, esteem. And so we have to um, Ask the Lord to help us in that. And one way I've really been helped was just by a message that Carolyn Mahaney did called The Snare of Compare. And it really set me free. And a lot of times when I would just be tempted, I would be able to say, what is that, Sherry? What is that to you? You follow me. And so I'd have a thought. I would think, okay, what is that to you, Sherry? 
you need to follow God and not compare yourself or think about this other person. And um, you can just Google that message. Hopefully it would encourage you if you struggle in that area. That's good. Um, Elizabeth, uh, the next question is about anger. Um, and this lady says, when you know you're being irrational, but you're angry that your child won't do what you want them to do, how do you diagnose what's really going on and how do you fight it? That's a great question and very appropriate for the zero to five. <laughs> I definitely began to see anger come out of my heart and it was about when I had three small children and um, I would tell Mike at night when he'd get home and I just began to be truly convicted by the Holy Spirit and saw I need to grow. I need to grow in this for my own soul and my relationship with the Lord. God totally met me in my need and in my desperation and he met me through some teaching on anger. Mike brought home um, the David Pallison three-part um, article from the Journal of Biblical Counseling on anger. And I'm going to share with you a little bit what God did in my heart, but no, this was over months and I could probably even say years of a process. And, and I still walk these out and I still read that article once or twice a year. But when I got a hold of it, I poured over it for three months, <laughs> just reading and reading and reading. Um, and I think number one was recognizing that my anger was my issue. It wasn't because my children were out of hand that I was being angry or because I was tired even, though those are two temptations. Anger was a sin that I was committing and I needed the Lord's help. And so I've loved in those articles, learning from Pallison, that um, that adrenaline rush we get in our homes upon observing an injustice, you know, is like God. God, when he observes an injustice, rises up in response in holy anger. And we get, we get a little taste of that when we feel that adrenaline rise, when you see two children conflicting, someone hurting each other, or a huge mess that's just popped out of nowhere. You feel that rise up. And I would feel condemned in that rise up, thinking that was a problem. <laughs> you know. So learning that actually God gives you that rise of adrenaline to go and do good and to have the energy as a tired mom to go and help the circumstance and help children be reconciled and clean up big messes and <clears throat> lovingly discipline your child in those moments, that set me free and encouraged me like, this rise I feel is not wrong. This is meant for good. And so that was just a really helpful and freeing thing. So once that would happen and I learned that, then I would see my temptation was to be angry um, at the child or the circumstance. And so those moments were meditating on the gospel for me. And I can remember being in a child's room, angry, something had just happened, I needed to go respond, and just thinking, uh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And thinking, wow, this God that we serve maintains love to thousands, and I can't maintain it to three. And just being broken and aware of, I need his covering. You know, I'm easily angered and quick to anger. He's slow and... Jesus Christ covers this. He was enough. He paid for this. And just having those moments again and again and receiving the gospel. And um, I think what that time period did was make room for what would become self-control and the fruit of the Spirit, self-control in my life. So I would receive that adrenaline rise up at a problem in my home with my children and then I learned to, to pause and assess the situation is someone injured is someone just being defiant big mess someone you know whatever assess it and then do good um, and so that that was a progressive thing that happened but I think it was the Lord and I'm so encouraged because that allowed me to really serve my children 
and not be held back because of that sin of anger in my heart. So I'm thankful that God began this work in my heart and is continuing to teach me about loving instead of anger in response to trouble. Um, but that's where it all began. And I just thank God for motherhood because without it, I might not have been able to see all that yucky stuff in there that was already in there and needed to be worked on. What do you do after you've had an angry outburst? So I don't really have a formula for this, um, but as a believer, the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin. Sometimes it's in the moment and I realize I am angry right now with this child. And the Lord gives me grace to pause then and humble myself and uh, repent, turn away from that, you know, um, and I will receive his grace and I will tell my child, mom is angry right now. I, I am sorry. What I just said or the way I just grabbed your shoulders, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And we have that moment. Sometimes it's not until later because in my flesh, I think I can justify a lot. I like the child clearly needs discipline or whatever. And I can justify my angry heart especially if they're accusing me of being angry. I feel my pride rise up like, no, you, you can't tell me what to do right now. But the Lord is still faithful, and I'll walk away from the situation. And, you know, later I'll realize, you know what, I was angry. And um, I will go back. And then oftentimes at the dinner table that night around the table, we would sit around and say, um, this happened, this child got disciplined today for this, we're talking to daddy, and then I would say, and I got angry, and kind of telling my husband and my kids, um, I got angry, you know, and, and guess what, they forgave me, dad, guess what, when I did, they forgave me, and like celebrate that, um, kind of to show the kids, that's great, you know, we are going to sin, but there's grace, and we can forgive each other, we can be reconciled, and isn't that a good feeling? Thank you for forgiving me, you know. Um, so it's different, different times. Great. Um, that's really helpful. Um, the next set of questions is about priorities. We've got a couple questions in that vein. So um, <clears throat> this lady wrote, what do healthy friendships look like in this season? How do I love others and benefit from fellowship while keeping my family the priority? And in parentheses, she writes, I often wonder for those of us with the homebody bent, is it okay to regularly say, no, I don't want to hang out. I'd rather stay home. When is that selfish? When is it good? Sherry, what would you say? Uh, well, I would say that um, I think I've had over the years diff different seasons of life. There's a different level of friendship. And so... Um, I have, I have like a monthly lunch that I have with all the pastor's wives, and so that's always been a means of grace of friendship with me. And then I am in community group with those ladies as well. And so for me, that's always been a great thing is just my community group friends and um, getting to go out um, as a group of ladies once a month. Liz, what would you say? I think this is a common question when you're transitioning um, to staying at home, maybe with your children. And you wonder, do I have enough friends? Am I reaching out to others? And so I think it's something that you can pray about and seek the Lord about. Because you also want to be willing to use your gifts and abilities for the church and for your community. But I don't think you would ever regret. I don't regret putting the family as my priority and my children in this time that goes so fast. Investing in them first, and then as the seasons of life change, you are opened up a little time-wise. I've really struggled with this. I'm a very social person. I came from being a VFC intern right into motherhood. So it was quite the transition, and it would be a recurring conversation with my husband where I was really struggling with this and really needed his input. And in turn, my friendship with my husband really grew <laughs> through all those things. But um, I just think God used my lonely feelings 
at times where I felt lonely for peer friends to teach me to be satisfied in him. So when I'd have that hunger for like peer friends and I spent spending my days with little children, um, that would drive me to seek relationship with the Lord. And I feel like I really grew to love him as my best friend. And I thought about um, John 12, 24, that says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And there was a death in that area of my life, you know, in that season. But I'm so grateful, like Sherry said, um, there's much fruit that's coming from giving away myself relationally and pouring it into my children. I'm really enjoying my relationships with them now. And um, I would also say Allison Sexton, just as a, a mentor friend, encouraged me to make use of my babysitters as friends in that season. And I did that because <laughs> I really respect Allison. And my babysitters were such gifts of friendships over the years. I'd see them every other week or every week, and we'd get to catch up and talk and care for one another. And they just became really good friends to me. So a neat provision that way. Good. Um, so the next question is kind of along similar lines. This lady writes, how do you make wise decisions about when to pursue various interests or opportunities? How do you appropriately prioritize home and family while also knowing when to say yes to other things? Cher? Um, I guess I, I would say that I say yes to other things when they fall within my sphere of responsibility. <laughs> So can you just elaborate on what you mean by your sphere of responsibility? Okay, in my sphere of responsibility, it can start out small, say like just your family, your kids, but then it broadens when it, it's, well actually it starts with your husband, and then what I do for him, then what I'm gonna do for my kids, then how I'm able to serve um, now my, um, daughter-in-laws, my grandchildren, but your care group, your neighbors that live beside you, um, uh, you know, friends that you're going to have a baby shower for or pe take a meal to. So my, your sphere of responsibility, it grows, but that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, you have a friend that's painting a room and you want to be able to help her. Is that in your sphere of responsibility? Sometimes I have to check and see, you know, if I have time to help like that. But that's what I mean. That's really helpful. Uh, Elizabeth, what would you say? First, thank you, Sherry, because your example has really ministered to me over the years. And I just think, consider the outcome of your leaders' lives and imitate their faith. And so I've been able to learn a lot by observing Sherry and considering the outcome of her life. I've really benefited from knowing her adult children and that makes me want to go back and draw her out more and learn more. Um, one thing I would say is I'm a girl with lots of ideas mm -hmm. and a flurry of creativity. And so I've had to learn to go to my husband and get his leadership and his thoughts. Because I can have five different ideas in a day. One time I had an idea to make the world's largest pancake at the Cove Park and like have all these friends to come and pour batter on a big hot rock. I mean, ridiculously silly ideas is where we're going. And I need a leader to say, that's not for now, <laughs> you know? And he has, and that has really served me. But one thing I love that my husband has done for me is this phrase, Elizabeth, use your giftings within your calling. And I just feel like that has served me so well. And it's taken all these creative ideas that the Lord's put in me, and it's made me funnel them into how can I use these in my calling. And that's turned out to be a blessing, I think, to my home and my children. I just think about writing funny little songs when we were training them to look up in people's eyes. We did a whole song to the tune of Staying Alive. Say hi, 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 hi. Look in their eyes, look in their eyes. And we wrote a whole song about, you know, when someone greets you, look in their eyes. And just using your own giftings. If you're administrative, man, make that home 
awesome. You know, make your grocery list rocking and get it done. And I just feel like you can use the gifts God gave you to pour out grace and good on your husband and your kids. Um, one of the ways that I have been able to make friends at this stage of life is especially through community groups. That's naturally easy to when you're sharing your heart and you're getting deeper in 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 your feelings and you're praying for each other but also just interests so my interests are gardening and books and things like that and I've developed friends through some of those hobbies where I might go to a friend's house and look at her garden and she might come to my house and look at my garden and and it's a blessing and it's a way of fellowshipping and just having other relationships outside your family or church. That's good. So you're like multitasking. You're doing something that you enjoy, but mm -hmm. then you're enjoying friends. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's great. So the next question is along the lines of priorities. And this lady writes, can you give me some ideas for deepening your relationship with your husband during the season? How can I pursue and make him a priority when my kids demand so much of my time and energy? List. I think making time to talk to him when he is home and pursuing him for fun activities together, maybe suggesting things to do, also making the most of your day, talking in bed before you go to sleep, praying together before you go to sleep. Um, another thing I've learned to do is to be able to share my husband with the kids without complaining, um, being stepping back and letting him enjoy them when he's home and not demanding that I be the center of his attentions. Um, so then sharing, sharing him, letting him enjoy them and being, being involved too, being grateful for all he does. And then just, being willing to encourage him with, with words and actions are all things that, that I've done to deepen our relationship. Elizabeth? I was just reminded of Ephesians 5 where it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. And I love this topic. Um, I think the marriage for a married mother can be her greatest asset to her motherhood after knowing Christ. And I don't think there is a separation between my wife role and my mother role. When I'm mothering, I'm also fulfilling so much of my wife role. So Mike and I are on mission together to raise a godly family, and we just have different roles in that mission. And thinking like that helps me stay very connected to him, even though I'm with the children all day and he's at work. Um, I do think that things like date nights were our bread and butter during that season. Oh boy, did I ever enjoy anticipating all week long the date night and then rem reminiscing on the date night all week long. Just what a pleasure that was and how good that was for our marriage relationship. We did things, we called it TNT time, which would be drink hot tea and talk for the other tea. Um, TNT communication nights after the kids would go to bed. We wouldn't watch a show. Um, it, was, it was hard sometimes for us to just sit there quiet on the couch and talk and communicate, but we needed that. We were a young married couple growing in communicating. So, you know, you're not just having children learning a mother, but you're still trying to figure out who you are as a couple and as a family during these years, typically. So we needed that intentional communication time. Um, I think I would take naps. So not everyone does, but when my little ones rested, I tried to nap, nap. And it wasn't just for my own napping. It was so that I could be fresh for my husband getting home after work. So I wasn't just exhausted when he walked in the door. I was like, this is a whole fun part of my day, being with my husband after he gets home from work, and I want to invest in that. So I'm going to need to prepare for that by resting earlier in the day. Um, we also just have fun memories of watching a show together. We would get into a certain show and 
faithfully watch it each week after the kids went to bed, make fun memories, pop popcorn, you know, either watch it in bed or on the couch. And, um, and then finally, it was just a thought, like, whenever there was a disagreement in what the kids wanted to do and what Mike wanted to do, I was, like, always siding with Mike. You know, I'm Mike's girl. I'm not the kid's side. You know, I'm with Daddy. And I just feel like that sowed my heart to him over my children. That's good. Um, the next couple of questions are about training and discipline. So, Sherry, this one was, how do you encourage good behavior and correct bad behavior without creating automatons? How can you get to their heart? Um, well... J.C. Ryle says that love is the grand secret to effective training. And so I would just encourage um, just your relationship with your children over their training. Just um, make memories with your children. Lavish them with affection, encouragement. Your training in obedience and respect and your teaching of God's word will be effective in the proportion to which your expressions of love for your children. May God give us much grace as we seek to preach the gospel to our children. And I know he is, he'll be eager to answer our prayers. Um, just thinking that um, we have to encourage and encourage and encourage and point out evidences of grace as we teach our children to respect and obey. Um, and in this season, it seems like there's a lot of confusion and as a result, maybe less application in this critical area of gospel-centered mothering. It is a vital importance. For further study, I recommend um, J.C. Ryle's book, The Duty of Parents, but just um, Ephesians 6, and it talks about the importance of your children obeying and respecting you. And so I think those are, those are big ticket items. <laughs> um, and we're always reminding myself that we're parenting for an audience of one. We don't teach our children to obey so that they will make us look good. We teach our children to obey because God has been good to us and because we want our children to experience the goodness that comes from walking in his ways. Well, along those lines, um, what would you say to a mom who is trying to be faithful to train her and discipline her three-year-old but doesn't see a lot of fruit? There are still a lot of tantrums and disobedience, and often addressing them seems to just make things worse. What would you say, Liz, to that mom? Um, tantrums are really hard and bad, but not surprising in light of Scripture, which tells us how corrupt naturally we are. I would pray. I would try not to panic myself or give in to discouragement. I would try to be faithful to keep training the child and teaching him about self-control and how it will not go well for him if he cannot have more self-control. Maybe tell him this when there is not a tantrum going on, but beforehand, maybe have some encouragement where you're talking about the good things that will come if he can have self-control, you know, when I have to get him off the Xbox, you know, if this is a pattern I'm seeing of when I have to tell him that he can go crazy and angry. And so knowing that that's a temptation he has, I would talk about self-control and how he can, it's possible. No temptation is overcoming him. That is not common in, in obedience and self-control is possible. And I, um, have done this and and it has been helpful so Elizabeth I would say I would not be looking for fruit necessarily in my three-year-old because this is a major sowing season and so I mean there will be fruit and then there may already be some you know but I my focus wouldn't be on the fruit my focus would be on be faithful um, to train and lovingly discipline my child according to God's word. And um, I just remember thinking a lot, this is so by faith because I don't see the outcome. But I was doing it by faith. You know, I was like 
I see this in God's word and it's good and and I'm going to trust him in this. And and that was difficult. Again and again I would think this is by faith and I'm trusting the Lord's going to bless these efforts. Sure. Well, I would say too just um like Liz, like Liz said not to be surprised. I think we just expect that these things are going to happen. Um, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, yet we don't want to nitpick and insi- we can insist on a few things and we can pray and we'd be faithful to pray for that three-year-old. He or she is only three years old. <laughs> Remind yourself of how patient God has been with you and then keep doing the work of training him. But always remember that a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So you want to keep doing that work of training them. So pray and then fight to have your soul be happy in God. Worship, persevere, trust the promises of God, and be consistent. Finally, don't grow weary in doing good. Your consistency in one area will produce fruit in many areas in your child's life. Um, And along similar lines, one lady wrote, uh, When dealing with your kids, particularly those with a strong will, the process of helping them learn to obey can be frustrating and hard and long. And she says for her, this can lead to two potential issues. The one, the first one is that her child can become discouraged. So how can you keep them from feeling like they're always in trouble and can't do anything right? And then the second thing is just that having a strong will in of itself isn't necessarily wrong when it's submitted to God. So for example, a teenager with a strong biblical (coughs) convictions who isn't easily swayed by peer pressure. So she wonders how do you help them learn to obey without squelching those strengths of a their God-given personality. Elizabeth, what would you say? I personally wouldn't be concerned at all about wounding a child's strong will or personality in disciplining them um, because I think that disciplining them is the best thing that you can do for helping the child become wise and free. Um, In Scripture, wisdom and humility are associated with leadership and with kings, and with reigning. Pride and arrogance are set up against those things as the enemy of wisdom and humility. And so when you lovingly discipline your children with the rod, you're helping them become someone who's humble and wise, and therefore will be equipped to rule and reign and lead. And I truly believe that. Um, I have a time that I can remember when I was really struggling to persevere with a strong-willed child. And I remember Will Kittrell was over to our house that night, and he said something that really served me. Now, Will was a grown man at this point and a guy that my husband and I really respect him as a humble man. And Will said, if there is any humility in me, I attribute that to my mother faithfully disciplining me. And that just served me so well because I saw this man who was a good man and loved the Lord, was a strong man, who was a leader, and he was attributing those things to his mother's loving discipline. And that just ministered to me and helped me persevere and inspired me. Liz, what would you say to the first question about how can you um, keep them from feeling discouraged or like they're always in trouble? I think if you have been encouraging your child, your little baby, with loving words and care, you know, as you change that diaper over and over, and as and it, God really gave me a heart to even during diaper changing, just I get to do this. This is my job. Nobody else is gonna love them like I can love them. I get to do this and I saw it as such a huge privilege, the caring part. So if you have built built this foundation where their needs are met and you're you're caring for them, I think it's easier in faith to just pinpoint some specific things that you're addressing, you know, the simple things of obeying, you know, and talk to your husband about when to 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 really apply that at what you know when you start doing that but I think as you build it all blends together so you're building this foundation of of love and you're gonna see temper tantrums no matter how loving and caring you are you're gonna have it their sin will be there no matter what but you're not shocked 
and you're able to just, you know, very calmly talk about it and deal with it. And I think because of God's faithfulness, because of all the words that he's spoken in his word, I think that they, they will produce a child that can handle correction. I think the tendency is to second guess yourself and think, oh, I'm just picking on this child. You just start worrying. And so that sin of worrying can, can hinder your ability to speak truth and I, so I think you're always battling your own sense of worry and anxiety by, by what you know, you know, tra- training yourself to trust God, pray. But um, I think when you build that foundation of love, that it will be received in the right way. That's good. And speaking of building a foundation of love, someone asked, and I'll ask you, Liz, how do you encourage your nine children to be loving to one another? <laughs> I asked my daughter this question and um, she just and and as I asked her that question I was reminded of how they do love each other and how they get along and how they all love one another with snapchats you know throughout the family group and it's just sweet Um, and I do think when I saw fighting especially with the boys when they were younger I think I did stop and I would sit them down to talk about it and we would we'd pray about it if I would it can be confusing as you start to sort through their issue and what had who was at fault it can be confusing but I did take time to stop and draw them out and bring scripture to it and maybe a consequence if I wasn't sure, I might say, well, you know, let's, you're both doing these chores. I, it wasn't always this person's right and this person's wrong. It was just like, Lord, help us. We are <laughs> sinners here. We are needy people here. And, and I don't always have answers, you know, but it's going to the Lord and trusting him, bringing the gospel into it. And I just think you keep doing that over and over and over in every area so Um, changing gears a little bit Sherry um, one woman writes I've been particularly overwhelmed with the celebrated sins of the world namely homosexuality and gender confusion I'd love some encouragement and advice as to what I can do in these little years to help my children see the beauty of God's design for marriage and gender Um, well that's a good question Um, I think we're going to have to trust the Lord in this, and we're going to have to think we walk by faith and not by sight, um, and that um, we can um, just take these things to the Lord and pray because He sees this and He knows the temptations. But I think these mothering um, maybe fears or concerns often rise in these moments when we feel helpless to change our child's heart. We feel that. We, and we feel that way because it is true. We really aren't able to change their hearts. We're not able to drag, uh, we don't have control in this situation. Salvation belongs to the Lord and we cannot open the eyes of our children's hearts or give them a heart of flesh for a heart of stone, but we must turn our concern, our panic, our fear into prayer that God would do what only he can do because that's ultimately what we want him to do is to reach our children and um, save them and um, I think that we can the best thing we can do for them is um, by by our own example just have a um, relationship with God that's strong and so that we can exercise faith and not give in to fear and especially in this topic if that's a topic for you that tempts you then I would encourage you to go to the scripture and start really relying on the promises of God. And then two, you know, I did, we did have three sons and one daughter, so we were pretty intentional with our daughter, and we, um, Bill was always encouraging our, my relationship with Lauren. I think it can be a natural thing for daughters to want to be close to their daddies, but what he did was just always encourage my relationship with Lauren, and always told me to pursue her, no matter, because Lauren would, she was good at rejecting her mother. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I, he really instructed me and always taught me, you pursue her, you pursue her, you don't give up. And by God's grace, um, Lauren and I have a wonderful relationship now. What books have you guys found to be helpful on the topic of parenting? Uh, the Duties of Parents by J.C. Ryle, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, anything by Elizabeth Elliot. Um, I like the chapter of on loving your children and feminine appeal. And then the Girl Talk blog actually has a whole resource part on, um, under the resources it has parenting young children, mm. which is just invaluable. Elizabeth? One practice that the Lord led me to, which has really served me over the years, is just taking the book of Proverbs in the Bible and a highlighter or another piece of paper in my pen. And just as I'm reading it, you would just be amazed at how much parenting counsel there is there. And you can focus in on one area of parenting and read through the entire Proverbs and write out your verses. And that's just really served me, especially in training and disciplining. Um, I love this book called Family Vocation by Jean Edward Veith, and it's um, a book that talks about how the Reformation brought about the dignity to every vocational calling, and, um, and you know, you could be a plumber for the glory of God. Well, it, this is a whole book that takes each um, family member and talks about the vocation of father the vocation of mother, the vocation of husband, wife, the vocation of being a child. And I just, Mike and I have so enjoyed that book, just neither of us growing up in Christian homes, both of us coming from multiple divorces. Um, we had nothing to go on except for the huge grace of God of our church. Um, but that book has really served us to help us understand what a family is. And then I love also this book. Uh, it's called The Big Three Questions for Frantic Families. It's actually a hilarious read, and it's really served us to help us understand um, what should be priority at certain seasons of our life. So it doesn't tell you what to make your priority, but it's more a book that teaches you how to come together with your spouse and for us as Christians before the Lord and communicate and think through and pray through what is priority right now in this season. And so that this book's really helped us because it, it also helps you to go, there's going to be other seasons to do other things, but what is like the most important thing that we do in this little season? Teach us to number our days so we can gain a heart of wisdom. I think this book, The Big Three Questions for a Frantic Family, has really helped us do that. Let's... Um, I have devoted more time to reading books like Keep a Quiet Heart by Elizabeth Elliot, biographies like um, A Chance to Die by Amy Carmichael, um, If, poems by her, um, then there's Knowing God and uh, Spiritual Depression, books for my self to fortify myself to face the difficulties of life and so I'm I haven't read as many child rearing books I've I try sometimes and then I just somehow just don't stick with them as faithfully and so I just think like keep a quiet heart has these little tiny power packed devotionals that would equip me to just make it another day. So it would be something I could read right before I fell asleep for a nap when my children were little and I could read it right as I fell asleep and then and think about it as I drifted off to sleep. And so that's been one of my favorites. Okay. Um, so we, will you guys end by encouraging us regarding this season from your experience of God's faithfulness and grace. So Elizabeth, will you start? <clears throat> Yes, well, I'd just like to say, man, I'm thankful I got to do this season of life at Cornerstone. So we have a great community that encourages motherhood, and I love seeing all the mothers in our church and the grace of God that's there. And 
This is just a vitally important season in your daily faithfulness in serving and meeting needs and training and disciplining will be the loving foundation of trust that the next season of motherhood will be built upon. So go deep and build faithfully, and I don't think you'll ever regret it. And I'm so thankful that even in my weakness, just the Lord helped me not give up, and He will meet you too. Well, in prayer, there is no magic formula. We are talking to a person, the God of all comfort. We are meant to learn a precious lesson. It is possible to go on. Just as the comforts of Christ overflow, so also do His sufferings. We are not meant to have such easy lives when Jesus knew such titanic suffering. This thought is from a favorite book of mine. It's Affliction by Edith Schaefer. And I just think prayer and um, remembering perspective of, you know, there is a place of suffering as a Christian, suffering as a parent. Sometimes you might feel persecuted by your children, rejected by them. Um you know, just in your heart and your emotions. And so this we share in his sufferings and parenthood is filled with awesome things, but it is also filled with hard, hard, hard things to face. So praying and trusting God will equip us. Sharon? Well, I think just um, be willing to give yourself grace because I think you need grace. We all need grace. He wants to give us grace. And I think just taking the little steps day by day where God provides what you need, just seeking Him, letting Him provide your needs. And then um, when you get down the road, you're able to look back and you'll be amazed and surprised all that God's done when He uses your little steps of obedience and faith and trust in Him. And then I had a good friend who said if she could do anything different after raising her kids, she would have trusted God more. So that's the only thing she regrets is she would have trusted God more. And I think we can do that. Just go, hey, we can trust God. That's good. Well, thanks so much for answering all these questions. And there's just so much biblical wisdom that you shared. And we have a lot to think about and apply. Um, And in closing, we know that there's no way this answered all your mothering questions. And maybe you even have more now. And so as always, we would encourage you to ask questions of the godly women in your life. Um, There's just nothing better than those who know you well, helping you think biblically about and pray through all the issues that come with motherhood. So thanks for listening. 